So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, man fans. Ollie Man here with The Modern Man. Uh, hello especially to Nick, who says, I am the one who wrote in last week about my condom breaking. Your timing was impeccable, as I heard Alex's answer to my question the night before I had a third date with a girl I had high hopes for. Suffice to say that with your advice and reassurance, my sexing was a success. Um, and you'll be pleased to know that as a postscript, he clarifies his use of the word sexing in both this and his original email was ironic. Uh, Thank you for clearing that up, Nick, and uh, best of British to you. Um, Now, today's middle feature is about the art of movie trailers. Coming soon, in a world, all of that stuff. Because, you know, if you think about it, Film trailers are a form of advertising that are now all around us in a way that they simply weren't before. It's no longer just a case of seeing previews in the cinema. You now also encounter movie trailers on YouTube, both as pre-roll ads to the thing you're trying to watch and in their own right. People seek out film trailers online, don't they, to get excited about a movie they want to see and share it on social media. Uh, You see film trailers auto-playing on Netflix when you're simply just trying to have a conversation in your sitting room. (laughs) They are everywhere. So I wanted to know more about them, how they're put together, how they work. So if you're a film fan, I think you're going to enjoy this episode. Uh, Before we get going, though, my big thanks to everyone who created a recurring beer subscription to the show following my plea last week, or just bought us a couple of beers as a one-off. You know who you are, but so do I, and you are Anthony, Terry, Jamie, Christopher, Mark, James, Harry, Connor, Neil, Tom, and Eleanor, and all of you are fucking brilliant. If you want to support this show as well, and thereby independent podcasting as a genre, um, do put your hand in your pocket. We really appreciate it. Then take it out again and type modernmanwith2ends.co.uk into the internet and click beer money. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Right, on today's show, you will learn how to use a numerical system to reach a better orgasm. You will learn what a laser shork is. And you'll learn why you shouldn't buy nipple clamps from Robert Dias. Let's go. On this week's Modern Man. We are going to lie to you if we really have to. We have to get you to come to the cinema. Spoilers, twists, music and manipulation. How to make the perfect movie trailer. Some of them are pretty flipping hardcore. They're not too far off a bulldog clip to the nick. And Alex Fox licks, flicks and lightly squeezes the topic of nipple play. But first, it's the zeitgeist. All the trends you need to know about for the week ahead with a man that I'll call... Well, hey Siri, who's Ollie Peart? Sorry, I can't get that info for you here. Yeah, sounds about right. It's Ollie Peart. Whatever, Siri, you nonsense machine. We'll be updating you on how Ollie's fared with his challenge to get this podcast working across all smart speakers. They're all joining us today in the Modern Man studio, which feels a bit like we've been taken over by robots. Yeah. What are your trends for the week? Digital gifts. There's a chap called Guy Fieres. Real name is Guy Ramsey Ferry, and he is an American restaurateur which uh, makes him sound sophisticated, but he's anything but. He's a a very brash, loud, bleach-blonde-haired, goateed American. Wow, why are you trolling this man? What's he done? No, I'm not being rude to him at all. No, this is just who he is. Well, it's pejorative, I'd say. Well, he's made a very successful living out of it. He's actually uh, best known for, despite owning all these restaurants and stuff, uh, he's best known for uh, appearing on TV after winning uh, a season of The Next Food Network star. Anyway, so he's got a bit of a cult following. And now you can buy the chance to name one of his hair follicles. I wasn't expecting that twist. No, you weren't. Is he involved in this? No. 
So, in what sense are you actually buying the rights to name his hair follicles? You're not. You're just paying for a certificate which says that you've named it, and you can buy them. So it's just like people buying bits of the moon, isn't it, and doing that as a, as a gift? That's exactly what it's like. In fact, on the website, it says that it's like a kind of star registry, which is the same kind of thing. I might start doing this, because this guy sounds like he's making a killing. The thing is, right, you could look at it and go, OK, well, this somebody's just trying to make some money, and, and, and it's a gift. They're not the gifts. The website is the gift. The website was built by a guy called Chase mm. as a present for his mate. The site, the way that he has built it, and I don't know what he's built it on, but it does look fully, like, it looks properly legitimate. It looks really good. And it's taken off. When you say it's taken off, how many people have been stupid enough to give this guy money? Well, I don't know. Like, everybody's talking about it. I say everybody's talking about it. It's on Vice and a couple of other news networks have covered it. So he must be getting some substantial traffic. And if people are paying for these hair follicles to name them, what's he doing with the money? Well, more to the point, what about the original guy? What's his name, the celebrity that I've not heard of? Guy Fierreras. Right, Guy Fierreras. Why isn't he getting a cut of it? That's the real story, isn't it? Well, he's, he's his American. His hair follicles are his intellectual property, as far as I'm concerned. They're part of his personal brand. They're part of his media personality. If someone was selling my hair follicles, I'd tell them to go do one. Yeah, but, you know, he's American and we all know that they're not very litigious, so... Okay, so this is one kind of digital gift. What other examples might you foresee? Well, I don't foresee. I have seen. There's a thing called Laser Shork, which I saw this week as well, thanks to your challenge, but I'll go into it later. But Laser Shork I can talk about. It's literally an app and it's a shark who's got laser eyes and you ask it in Google Assistant, talk to Laser Shork, and it just messages back, shork, 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 shork. Loads of people know about it. And a kid just made it for his mates for a laugh to show that he could do it. But there's so many things that you could do online. You build it for your mates and it just takes off. What else have you got for us this week? Augmented reality, Ollie, is uh, a thing that's going to happen pretty soon. But it's been limited in recent years. And the reason there were limitations to it is that the mapping data that they use is it was really difficult to get hold of. So off the back of Pokemon Go, there weren't actually that many other mobile games that took off using augmented reality. I thought it used Google Maps, Pokemon Go. It did. Isn't that open source? No. Oh. But it is now. Oh, okay. So what Google have done, and this is quite big news, particularly if you're into gaming. Yeah, it is. I'm not dismissing it. They've released their, <laughs> They've released their maps... API to games developers, but they've also released it with a bit of software which combines with this thing called Unity, which is a, a massive games development platform piece of software that game developers can use, which makes it really easy to create games using Google Maps software that means that, you know, like when you go into like, Google Maps and you zoom in and it's a 2D image, but somehow they drag it into a 3D extrusion of your world. So mm-hmm. like if you zoom in, my house is 3D. How have they done that? Mm. You know, do you know what I mean? Mm. Well, now you can use that data and you can reskin it in any way that you like. So if you're on your phone and you're in like a street view situation or whatever, the game that you're in could completely reskin your surroundings. So this building could reshape the walls or put whatever you want on the walls or, or make the building into something with a big fire breathing dragon on top. Okay, but only in a new app game, not on Google Maps itself. No, not on Google Maps. But here comes the trend. You're going to see a hell of a lot more augmented reality games everywhere that will completely obliterate Pokemon Go. It won't just be a little character that's just in your space. The space that you are in will completely change in every which way. The Walking Dead, that's a game that is being co-developed with Google, okay, and that's yeah. an augmented game. But that's they, a big name, okay. Yeah, they, and they are bigger, and Ghostbusters World and Jurassic World Alive. You could, in theory, get up one morning and think, do you know what, I want it to be sunny and look nice. <laughs> I'm not even joking, and you could do that. You could and then you could have the, 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 the Sunny app. Yeah, yeah, you could have the Sunny app, I want it to be rainy, I want to be in a place where everyone's wearing shorts. Yeah, I don't but, know if that would work. Uh, yeah, well, it's a bit weird. I love the idea, I think it's great, but it will distort... Our reality, I mean, we've already spoken about this before where people use augmented photo filters and Mm. they've actually forget what they look like on their phone. Mm. It's the same kind of thing, but instead of just your face, be your entire world. Right, here in glorious reality right in front of me, it is time for your challenge. In Mm -hmm. front of us, we have the smart speakers from Apple, from Google and from Amazon. And your task, as set by man fan Crispy in Bournemouth last week, was to work out the exact words that are required to get them all to play this podcast. So can we just start with that? Can you, Or are you going to tell me a story about how difficult it was? Getting them to uh, play the podcast wasn't difficult. Okay, fine. Well, let's, let's sh- show us the results then. Okay, here we go. Okay, so if, you're list- if you've got one of these smart speakers, write the words down. This is what you need to say. All right, let's prove it. Okay. Let's start with the, um, start with the Apple one. Okay. Hey, Siri. 
Play the Modern Man podcast. Okay, Old Men on the Mountain podcast coming up. Old Men on a Mountain podcast. No, wait, 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 wait. Hey Siri. Hey Siri. Hey Siri. Stop. Sh- shut up. Okay. Hey Siri. Play the mm-hmm. Modern Man podcast. It interrupted me. D- it's, it's not it, going to understand what you said now because you're now interrupting but yourself. It interrupted okay. me. Here's the album Bloodlust EP by the Mountain Man. Not, okay. But just you were supposed I... to have the perfect formulation of words. Hey, hey Siri. Hey Siri. Ugh. Just shut up for a minute. Just shut up. Just shut up. Stop. Hey Siri. No, hey, being, hey Siri, being... stop. Hey Siri. Hey Siri, stop. It's like a teenager. <laughs> that definitely worked. So I'm gonna just I'm gonna just try something else. Okay. Live testing. But that definitely worked. Hey Siri. Play the Modern Man podcast by Ollie Mann. Now playing podcast, old men on the mountain. Oh, oh, were you me. old old man on the mountain? That's why. He's... Right. Hey, okay. Siri, no, hey, I, I'm sorry. Shut oh, up. You've, you failed. You've I already failed. failed. You it have. It, it wasn't right. work. It didn't work. Three times it didn't work. It worked. But it's now still playing. It, it hey worked. Siri, stop. It worked. Stop. Hey Siri, stop. Hey, stop. Show us the perfect combination of words to get Google to play the modern man. Okay, Google. Play the modern man podcast. All right, here's where you stopped in the modern man, nature, nurture, uh, season seven, okay. PE3. That's good, but it's playing where you stopped, so you've already played it before. Is it trying heroin? <laughs> oh, it's me! And you're listening to your own section, there's oh! a surprise. Well, no, 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 okay, Google, not... pause the podcast. Okay, so, but if I, can it ask for a specific episode? Oh, yeah, well, you didn't ask me to do that, but oh, I okay. can try. Well, give me a name of an episode. Okay, Google, play the modern man podcast, The Man Who Lives in the Woods. Oh, it's, it's, okay, I'll continue playing the modern man, nature, nurture. No, so it's picking up from no, where it's left picking off. Up, yeah. Okay, but it knew, it knew. It, well, yeah, and also it okay. played okay, the latest Google, episode. Stop, stop. Okay, let's get to Amazon Echo. Have you just gone around saying the same things three times to all the speakers? Because if you say, play me the modern man podcast again, I'm not going to be impressed. You're supposed to be finding the best formulation of words. Well, I did say that to you, the Amazon device in front yeah, of me, yeah. but instead it played the muffin man. Okay. <laughs> Right, well, let's see what happens now then. Alexa, ask any pod to play the Modern Man podcast. Now playing the Modern Maker podcast. No, 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 no. Episode 082. No, come on. And how long did you spend getting this to work? Wait, because this does work. I'm just going to do it again. Alexa, just shut up. Just shut up. Okay. Alexa, ask any pod to play the Modern Man podcast. (laughs) Now playing the modern maker pod. Oh my god! <laughs> it literally, it, it works. I'm telling you that works. Well, it didn't. It did. No, it does work. Uh, Who is this? Know, we're on TuneIn as well, aren't we? Have you tried TuneIn? Alexa, ask TuneIn Radio to play the Modern Man podcast. Getting the latest episode of the Manifesto of the Modern Man. No. Seriously, I mean they're not good enough. These speakers, are they? I know we've got a pun in our name. So but, that makes it a bit complicated. No, it doesn't. Uh, Ollie, it worked. Alexa. In my house, it worked. The thing is, this sums up perfectly exactly what my, my last week has been like, trying to figure all this kind of stuff out. Like, well, you failed. The, no, because you haven't that, figured worked, it out, that worked Ollie. first time. That worked first time. No, that listen, took a while I was, set up. I set it up. Alexa, stop. I think we need to come up with a skill, don't we? Have you looked into that? How does that work? Because the process seems quite mysterious and geeky to me. But you can program your own skill, can't you, and then release it to the mass market? You can. Well, and that, that's actually with, with Google. So that uh, shork thing that I was talking about, mm. that's exactly the uh, that's the exactly that. You, yeah. you basically you come up with an idea, you design it. I looked into both of them. They're far more complicated than I thought. I can't work it out. And also, you have to go through a review p- process. Yeah. But there's things in there, and you think, how did that get approved? If it's beyond you, can I just say to you listening, if any of you know how to program a skill uh, onto Amazon Echo and you're not going to charge the earth for it, get in touch and maybe we'll ask you to do that. I asked you to come back as well telling us five things we didn't know that smart speakers could do. Yep. Okay, Google. Ask the Farmer's Almanac about today. All right. Getting Farmer's Almanac. Spring begins in five days. Today is the best day to plant below ground crops. Okay. What is the Farmer's Almanac? Is it like Gardener's World magazine, basically? Okay, Google. Stop. All right, that's one. Alexa, play sad trombone. That's good. good. What I like about that is, especially now you've explained that had to go through a rigorous approval process, I just enjoyed the bureaucracy that was involved in getting that to our ears. Yeah, Yeah. but you actually, uh, you have to enable that as a skill. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, what else have you got? Hey, Siri. 
Call me the zeitgeist. I can't get that info. Oh, my God. What's it supposed to do? It's supposed to say, hey, zeitgeist, you're so cool. From now on, like, if you set it up like that, it will call you that name in any kind of reference to you for whatever. So that obviously doesn't work. Can you tell how weary I am of these little... They're like infants just knocking about. (laughs) It's just awful. They are so primitive, aren't they, when you really think they are the future, but it's people are getting so excited and they basically don't work still. Literally, all I do is I use it to play the radio and then I might sort of get an app that means it does a a fart noise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, egg timer. Okay, what's the fourth one? Uh, Well, this one I do find quite interesting. The Google one will find your phone in your house. Okay, Google, find my phone. I can help by making your Pixel 2 ring on full volume straight away. That's good. That is useful. to do that? Yes. All right. Very good. Oh, that is good, isn't it? Yeah, that's useful. That's useful, isn't it? That's useful. It's the first useful thing you've said. We're 15 minutes into the show. Find us the fifth thing that we didn't know that the speakers could do. And then the last thing is kind of close to that, but you can also ask Google, Mm. and it it does seem to be the better one, but you can say, I've put my passport in the top drawer Mm. or whatever, Mm. or on the dresser, and then when you ask it, in six months' time when you can't find it, it'll tell you where It'll remind you where it. it is. Yeah. That's quite good, although also useful for thieves. Oh, yeah. He's coming to your house. Okay, Google, where did I leave all my precious belongings? I'd say just from this very primitive demo that we've done, by the way, if you're thinking about buying one of these devices, that for sound quality, I think you'd agree probably HomePod clearly is the best. I mean, it is five times the price. Yeah, well, but... it's £500. That was £39. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, and I would say for understanding voice commands and what you actually want it to do, the Google one's the best. Which yeah. is odd then, isn't it, when you consider the Amazon one is by far the bestseller? Yeah, I do. Well, I think that the Amazon it's one... It's VHS Betamax all over again. Yeah, I do think that the Google one will come out on top eventually. That's But they're just a novelty. They're a bit infuriating. They're a they? novelty at the moment. They are, yeah. They're not good enough. Anyway, uh, if you know how to get our podcast on them properly, let us know. Uh, right, time for your challenge for next week's show. Ollie Peart, will you open the digital envelope? Okay, it's from Brett, and he says, uh, I would like Ollie to try his hand at para-ice hockey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Formerly sledge hockey. I'm sure there are some local clubs that will accommodate him. That's right, and there are because we've set you up on one. Oh. That's right, Ollie Pitt. You are going to try your hand at Paralympic ice hockey. But th- th- that's just ice hockey, but on a, on a sledge. We'll find out. They punch each other in ice hockey. The point about this is you're going to learn something. You don't know anything about para ice hockey at the moment, as we're demonstrating. Mm. Next week you will. I'll learn what it feels like to be punched. I'm looking forward to hearing about that. See you next week. See you next week. Now, advertising. It's always a bit irritating, isn't it? It doesn't matter how well it's done, it is usually a distraction. But for some reason, I don't feel that way about movie trailers. Perhaps that's because, as a cinema-goer, seeing the previews is a glimpse forward to a product you might actually want to consume. You are a well-targeted demographic. Or perhaps it's because they always put the best bits in, so they're usually quite entertaining in their own right. What isn't immediately apparent, I think, when you're sitting in the multiplex waiting for Spider-Man 10 to start, is trailers have changed, evolved quite a lot over the past few decades. Gareth Davies has created trailers for movies including Arrival, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Room, The Woman in Black and Despicable Me. We sat down together to review a few golden oldies. Oh, and I should say, if you want to watch along with us as you listen, all the trailers we discuss can be seen on our website, modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. We started with Universal Pictures' Rear Window, the Hitchcock classic which first hit the big screen in 1954 and was re-released with this trailer following the success of Psycho, in 1960. This is the scene of the crime. A crime of passion, filmed in a way you have never seen before, and as no one else would dare attempt. But the screen's master of suspense, the producer-director who shocked the world with Psycho. This is the apartment of a man named Jeffries, a news photographer whose beat used to be the world. Right now, his world has shrunk down to the size of this window. Having a narrator holding your hand through something that isn't even really part of the film you know there's a lot of that looked like it was special shoots you know some of that was probably taken from the cutting room but you know they they sat James Stewart down and they they filmed him specifically for this purpose yeah that's the most extraordinary bit of it isn't it James Stewart turning to camera breaking the fourth wall and saying and you need to come and see the movie too I mean that's just weird it wasn't an uncommon Thing at a time. He's been watching the people across the way. Nobody seems to pull their blinds during a hot spell like this. 
they really spell out the plot as well, don't they? Yeah, word for word. <laughs> you know, I mean, the spoiler is the big thing that people want to avoid in a trailer, isn't it? When you see people complain, it's mostly that, oh, they gave yeah. away the best joke, they gave away the best bit. Is that something you come up against a lot? It is. I don't necessarily agree. I mean, that would be a pretty dull trailer if you didn't know that ultimately there was a murder. The problem you've got is you have to use your best material to sell a film and it's all it is advertising at the end of the day it's all about getting people into the cinema so I'm going to give away anything I have to and the reason you know for example voiceover has already died out is because we don't need it anymore you know we know if we're watching a thriller we know if we're watching a murder people just recognize genres and types of films instantly and ending the trailer is important isn't it Uh, you were laughing when we watched that because it ends with a big caption that says see it and then that just stays on the screen for like five seconds with no sound at all and then it cut to see it from the beginning from the beginning of course yeah which i suppose means people coming into movie theaters halfway through the film well i guess that you know in in those days it was a program that ran and it was on loop so Mm. you could come in at the end which would ruin rear window i also i don't know how long that rear window trailer was but it felt long felt very long probably because it was slow more than long yeah pace is important because you have to tell enough of a story as quickly as possible you know, in a relatively short period of time. I I can't imagine many viewers sitting down and actually getting to the end of that trailer these days. Mm. If you're sat in a cinema, you're... Captive. Yeah. (laughs) There's a 40-foot screen in front of you. You have to to pay attention. Uh, We're used to seeing a lot of very fast images. You know, a lot of the, uh, the members of our audience now are big computer game fans. You know, they grew up gaming... So they're used to just kind of like images and noise and sounds and they take things from just, you know, a very small number of frames of a shot or a slight sound. Mm. So people just wouldn't watch the trailer. You know, it, it just wouldn't work. People, it wouldn't engage people enough, I don't think, if you had something that slow today. Okay, let's watch our next trailer. <laughs> this is the original trailer for Alien, directed by Ridley Scott in 1979 and distributed by 21st Century Fox. Let's have a look. This is something that I have heard clients reference, which which is crazy considering it's released in 1979. It uses sound so well. It uses score from the film, images and corresponding sounds, but no real dialogue, just lots of screaming and noise. And it's something that's relatively easy to replicate, even if your film is much cheaper. And it's also a cheap way of marketing a film. You don't have to pay for, you know, a, a big well-known song. It's going to cost you, you know, tens of thousands. Talk to uh, me about that. Music. Uh, yeah, music have, you, have you had to say to clients, no, we can't have that because it's too expensive? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, clients are more than aware of this now. They come to you with a budget and say, we can, we've got this much money. And then we can go to a label and say, we've got... 20k per side which is you know 10k for publishing and 10k for performance so and that's a standard sort of budget is it for a smallish film 20,000 pounds for the trailer for music every film's different it's really more about you know the budgets are set according to how much they think it's going to take in the box office so a lot of the big studio films if it's a queen track if that's a track that works that's what you're going to use Mm. that's absolutely fine we'll pay for it Singles will cost more. Right, okay. You know, the most famous track by an artist will cost more. Depends whether the artist is alive or not. Depends how willing people are to have their music in association with your product. The Beatles and Dylan didn't sync anything for a very long time, Mm. just refused. You might find some artists are very keen to get their music on franchises that they're a fan of. I did a lot of work on The Walking Dead when I was based in New York. And there were so many people, you know, we'd have labels say to us, oh, so-and-so's a fan, so-and-so's a fan of Mad Men, so-and-so's a fan of Breaking Bad. They'd love to get, you know, their track synced and it just doesn't work out. The track's not right or for whatever reason or or maybe it does, you know. So some people will be willing to do you a deal and say, oh, yeah, you can, well, I'll give you this song for, che- you, know, you know, a reduced price. That Alien trailer, let's just talk about, again about how that came to be. I imagine the studio might not have been happy with that. It is a piece of art, 
but they're trying to market their movie. They want to explain what it is in the way that we saw in the 50s and 60s. It was definitely ahead of its time. Because it's a horror, the most important thing is to show people that they're going to be scared and they're going to see something they've never seen before Mm. in a place they've never been to. As a genre, it was probably acceptable, whereas now we could do something similar in a much wider range of genres and get away with it. Did Ridley Scott direct it? Yes, I believe so, yeah. How typical is that? It was more typical then. It still wasn't common. You know, the studios were in control of marketing and the films. You know, directors were just, you know, there to do a job. Today, it's not very common at all, um, unless the director has a lot of power or a lot of interest. Is there a tension there? There definitely can be tension. I mean, have you had directors distance themselves from something you've made or vice versa? Yeah, it's complicated. There have been many scenarios where you've been working with a client who hasn't involved the director and the director comes in late, is shown this trailer, they don't like it, they don't think it represents their film appropriately and will kick up a fuss and say, no, we've got to redo it, we've we've got to restart, we've got to change the music, whatever the scenario is. That's happened a lot. Equally, it's happened where the client has had enough control to say, no, this is what we need to do. This is what we're going to, you know, this is how we're going to approach the film. I'm sorry that you don't like it, but too bad. We've got to, we, we have to carry on. We're the, we're the experts. We know what we're doing, you know. Okay, next up we have uh, David O. Russell's Three Kings, released by Warner Brothers in 1999. Let's take a look at this. Are we shooting people or what? Yeah, I can see a grain of sand in there. I think this guy has a weapon! Music is high and the spirits are soaring as these young... Did I just say soaring? Sir, this scene is restricted, sir. Get out of my way. Sir, it's mayday, mayday. Now, this actual trailer looks like good fun. This is like a sort of buddy heist movie. I'm watching it thinking this is going to be Good Morning Vietnam meets Ocean's Eleven, basically. Yeah. And the film, if you've seen it, is not really like that at all. It's a very uneven, slightly disturbing, weird little film about the Gulf War. Does that mean that was an irresponsible trailer to make? Potentially, yes. It's a classic example of a client wanting to put a slant on a film say this film's too violent Can we let, let's pretend it's not quite so violent this film is not exciting let's pretend it's more exciting I mean in that case it seemed like they were saying this film isn't really funny enough we, you know if it's an action comedy it needs jokes in it but there were jokes in that trailer that aren't really jokes in the film Mark Wahlberg hurting his shoulder isn't a joke but they've edited it to make it look like it is the punchline to the scene I don't know whether it's the era what you've got to remember about the clients and the studios whoever's selling this film is they're trying they're looking at their audience thinking what do people want to see and someone i think just made the decision at the time that it's too serious we've got to sell it more light-hearted otherwise no one's going to come to see it and that's exactly what we would do today with a film like that we do ex- we'd probably do exactly the same thing but it is at the end of the day advertising you know we are going to lie to you if we ha- you know if we really have to we have to get you to come to the cinema. But that's always the tension, isn't it? You're trying to make the trailer to appeal as many people as possible. And you may be able to just assume that your target audience is going to come regardless. So Because David O. Russell directed it. Yeah, so let's forget them and yeah. let's look at everyone else. Let's get know. the George Clooney fans in. You know, he's going to come, but how do we get his girlfriend to come as well? Okay, trailer number four is The Coen Brothers' A Serious Man from 2009. Uh, and it begins with a man's head being repeatedly hit against a brick wall. Please, I need help. I've had marital problems. Honey, I think it's time that we start talking about a divorce. Larry, we're going to be fine. (laughs) Professional, you name it. Larry, we've received a number of letters denigrating you and uh, urging us not to grant you tenure. I need help. We're going to be fine. I've tried to be a serious man. Why did you choose this trailer? This trailer, I think, was very close to the beginning of a huge movement in, in trailers and film and television marketing in general. 
And as I joined the industry, I noticed that it was moving very quickly. There were lots of things being made. Uh, there were a lot more films, you know, platforms were opening up. And this trailer opened up an avenue that had never really been explored before. The lack of music is always something that stands out. And the rhythm built by that sound and that repetition. I mean, that's a sort of golden rule of trailers, isn't it? Is not to repeat the same shot. But the director here is repeating the sound effect of that for like what feels like 10 or 20 seconds. And other elements are brought in which start to disguise it and other rhythmic elements, you know, uh, we see something make a sound and that sound continues as well. Uh, some things are offbeat, some things are onbeat, some things are very just sharp, staccato noises, whereas others are more atmospheric or sweeping. Now, that trailer was directed by Mark Woolen. He's a big name in trailers, isn't he? He is, yeah. Why? I mean, there was a time when all the best trailers being released were probably made by Mark Woolen, in my opinion, for, you know, probably, you know, 18 months to two years or so. He did Spring Breakers, he did The Social Network. Um, yeah, that's a very memorable trailer, actually. That's Radiohead's Creep, isn't it, being sung by a female choir so, uh, over a montage acapella, of... I think. Yeah, exactly, um, of Facebook likes. Yeah, which is really haunting. Again, yeah. probably not a traditional way of selling something, probably not a traditional approach or a bums-on-seat trailer, necessarily. But absolutely capturing the tone, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. When a real stinker lands on your desk, and this is no judgment on your clients, it just happens sometimes, films aren't as good as people wanted them to be, what are the tricks you can use? I mean, is it a case about keeping everything short? Yeah, keeping everything short, minimal dialogue can often help if you've got either a bad script or bad actors. You've got to identify the elements and keep those to a minimum, or as, you know, kind of, uh, I like to approach it, find what is good about this this thing and focus on that as much as possible okay let's look at one of yours finally this is the one i love from 2014 uh, distributed by radius twc so since we're just kind of like dipping our toes in here i think maybe we shouldn't spend too much time in there the first go around okay how's a 15 minute sound yeah i think that's good hello whoa fascinating tell me It's really odd. It's like a perfect retreat. Just the two of you. I've sent a lot of couples there and they've all come back renewed. Okay, so the main reason why I chose this is because of just the whole process. Normally you might watch a film like this and dread having to approach it because there's a very big twist in the film which obviously we're not allowed to give away and that was the that was the brief it's like you cannot give away the twist which happens very early on in the film uh, which immediately restricts the amount of material you have to work with and so the way you've communicated that in this is you flashed up a quote from the press saying this is a romantic comedy with a twist yes even that for people that have seen the film is misleading they say it's not a romantic comedy at all it's the kind of romantic comedy I'd go and watch <laughs> it's not a traditional romantic comedy there's a sci-fi element isn't there which yeah. which you do not reveal in the trailer at all but if you look through that element I think it is both rom- romance and comedy is it another dimension when you go through the door? You want to go back. This is something that we've been talking about, creating a new relationship. I imagine like... So initially it was a case of just taking the material that we could use. We, 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 we literally, you know, from the point at which the twist becomes apparent, we looked at everything previous to that, you know, well, how are we going to approach this, what have we actually got to work with. I mean, it's a bit like making Groundhog Day without explaining that it's about Groundhog Day, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's tricky because you you soon realise that there's very little dialogue that says anything except something focused on this twist. So what we had to do was uh, look at dialogue very carefully and work out where you could easily remove a word, what could be taken from the area of the film that you're not really allowed to go into, mm. and what could be taken and used out of context in another way. And context is something that we're starting to play with a lot now in trailers it can be taking a line and playing 
images off of it which say something completely different if someone says i love you these days you know we try not to have a shot that might say that visually but maybe someone crying or fighting or arguing basically says there's more to this story you hear some information but it's not what you may expect it's it's there's more to it than that We also had a fantastic time when we did ecstasy, but we're not going to do that every day of our lives because you die. Right. Is it weird seeing a thing that you've seen in an edit suite in Shoreditch suddenly beamed up onto a 40-foot high screen and have an audience of 500 people laughing or clapping or ignoring it? Probably not for the reason that you might expect, but yeah, it is. Mainly because you never really see it that big. You know, you're so used to you know, working on some kind of you know, standard size monitor. Suddenly you're seeing something 40 foot wide and it just looks completely different. Often it sounds completely different as well. So it can be quite strange. You've, you've got to know this piece of work inside out over the kind of days and weeks that you've been working on it. You think you know it so well and then suddenly you see it in a different format and you realise that actually you don't. Why have I not seen it this big? until now and then there's always a, there's always a mistake in there there's always a glitch some sort of error that you couldn't rectify something that to you sounds bad in the mix or some area of a shot is too dark or there's just a cut that you didn't get exactly right nobody else notices but yeah always there's always something that kind of you know <laughs> bugs you about it editor gareth davies currently of intermission film And as I say, links to all the trailers we discussed, as well as some of Gareth's other work, can be found on our website, modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. Still to come, our record of the week, and Alex Fox is up next, after this. Right, if my weekly chats with Alex Fox were a movie, then surely the trailer would be In the Foxhole, No One Can Hear You Scream. It's Alex Fox. How are you doing? That makes me sound like I'm not doing a very good job of making people release orgiastic sounds of climax. I wouldn't know. What have you been up to this week? Well, periodically, Ollie, I do think about periods and I have been talking about menstruation a lot this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've paired up with a charity called Bloody Good Period uh, who help to get things like... <laughs> That's yeah. not one I've seen on a collection box. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? They also do um, cupperware parties instead of Tupperware parties where they, they teach women how to use uh, menstrual cups. But their main point of their existence is to get things like sanitary towels and tampons to people who don't have them but need them. For example, refugees... So they're helping to solve the problem known as period poverty. Um, And as part of my work with them, I discovered a Kickstarter run by a company called Dame. They have made a rather unfortunately named device. It's called the D. (laughs) It is a reusable tampon applicator. Now, Ollie, how familiar are you with various tampon styles? Not very. Last time I had to go shopping to buy some for my wife, I did have to keep referring to the picture she'd sent me of the packet. Because, you know, even within a brand, there's the purple ones and then the orange ones and the yellow ones, and I wasn't really sure what was going on. But they are all plastic, aren't they, basically? Actually, some applicators are made of cardboard, but increasingly these days, they're made of plastic. You use them once, you throw them away, and they are littering the world Mm. that a huge proportion of plastic waste is down to tampon application devices so dame have invented the d which is this reusable one you you stick it up your flump you use it to get things in the right place and then you wash it under the tap and you carry it around with you and my initial reaction to that was well if you wanted to save the world as a menstruating person wouldn't you just use a non-applicator tampon, which you poke into place with a clean finger, or a menstrual cup or another option? Mm-hmm. So I put this question out to my Facebook and Twitter friends, and I discovered so much about other women's flanges. Um, there were women who told me that they have tilted uteruses that sort of sit at a bit of a, an angle in their bodies, and they find applicators more useful to get tampons in the right place. Plus-size women told me that they like to use applicators women with disabilities came forward there were some women who just didn't like touching inside their bodies maybe then been brought up in cultures that taught them that that wasn't something that they should be doing but one of my uh, one of the best bits of feedback I got was from a lady who has extremely long fake acrylic fingernails and she said that she uses applicator tampons because otherwise if she um, tries to slot them into place with her own palms uh, she ends up lacerating the inside of her flump which is never good 
That's the sound of my mind boggling. Uh, it's time for this week's listener question, sponsored as ever by our friends at mycondom.com. Who stock Passante's coconut, mango and pineapple flavour condoms to give a totally tropical taste to your totally tropical paste? It's from Kieran, who says, My partner loves nipple play, and she gets extremely aroused when they're licked, flicked and lightly squeezed, more so than in any other type of foreplay. We were having a discussion about it the other day, and she thinks she can orgasm just from nipple play. As we are relative novices regarding all things toy-related, we wondered if Alex has any tips or recommendations on which products we could use to really see if she can climax with nipple play alone. We've tried the usual vibrator and lube on the nipples, which she loves, and clamps, not so much, but we would like to hear what else Alex can suggest. Okay, so nipple play... Fine. Nipple-based orgasms, is that really a thing? There are a few studies out there. There was one uh, carried out which assessed 213 women, uh, and this found that nearly a third, 29% of these women, claimed that they had had climaxes where the sensation radiated from the breasts and the nipple area, although there were some other experts and experiments that maybe suggest that that's quite high. Uh, it's, it's probably less than a third of ladies that can uh, get turned on by their raspberry ripples being juiced. Is the orgasm still coming though from down below it's just reacting to stimulation up above if you see what I mean it's quite hard with male anatomy to imagine you know even if one is enjoying the sensation of something else happening elsewhere there's a very definite ejaculation that happens from your cocks it's quite hard to imagine from a female perspective literally your nipples having an orgasm there are women who report that stimulating the breasts and the nipples definitely gives them orgasmic sensations in the usual downstairs area where you would expect it. Okay. There's also been some people who've carried out uh, fMRI brain imaging, and this has, been st- this has been published in the Journal of Sexual Medicine, which showed that nipple stimulation in some people had the capacity to activate the same regions of the brain as stimulation of the vagina or the clitoris. It's a zone known as the genital sensory cortex. So for some people, the way their bodies are wired, uh, touching their thrupney bits can be the same as touching their tuppence. Except a thing that we men hear a lot is women saying, oh God, I hate it when my boyfriend just wants all the time to grab my tits, kiss my boobs, play with my tits. And actually, you know, I've got a whole body here that I want to be played with, and it's not all about my breasts. So uh, if you're not sure whether your partner's into nipple play, um, presumably you have to tread quite carefully here. As ever with sex, individuals like different things, and you won't know what they like unless you communicate. So, yeah, sure, if you're zoning in on the tit A's as though you're playing darts or something, you're going straight for the bullseye (laughs) every time, and your partner is looking unimpressed and disinterested, then nope, it's probably not working for them. And as ever with sex, you should probably mix things up a bit as Mm. well. What other uh, research have you managed to come across? Well, away from the lab, and closer to my labia, I actually had a personal (laughs) experience recently. I was with a partner, yay, go me, and we spent a long, long time with them squeezing one of my nipples. It was the left one, actually. I haven't tested the right one. Maybe different sides work differently for me. I will have to investigate. Something to feedback on in future weeks. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, he was putting quite strong pressure so squeezing it was quite painful but we were looking into each other's eyes and I was communicating to him when it was too much and uh, and it even in itself it was quite an intense bonding exciting experience because I felt like I was testing my boundaries and we were very close and that in itself was titillating putting the tit in titillating then all of a sudden out of nowhere I felt like this electric jolt go down from my left Hello Kitty Titty, all the way to the Pussay. Uh, and it was incredible. It was amazing. And now this was quite an intense, this, this required quite intense stimulation for me to the point where when I got in the shower the next day and the hot water hit my boob, it was painful. I, I, was, I was a bit chafed. So for me, it took long sustained intense stimulation for that to happen. But I didn't know my body was capable of that until that moment. And again, so that's, you know, you're talking about communication all the way through. Uh, 
Very much so. It can be very difficult to judge, can't it? We're talking about pressure and stuff. Describing to somebody using words how much something hurts or how intense it is or how far it's pushing your personal limits can be difficult, Mm. especially because in the throes of passion, people often become lost for words. Mm. It's not not often, despite what uh, romantic literature will tell you, a a time for poetry. It's all about grunting and Mm. splurting. Um, You want to say faster now, slower, (laughs) not that. Or use numbers. Oh, um, excellent. Yeah, so if you say to your partner, uh, where is the, how does this feel on a scale of, say, one to five, where one is totally A-OK and five is, oh, my Lord, I think that my nipple knob is about to twist off in your fingers. Please, God, stop now. Mm. Uh, and you can say, I, w- I want to be at three. Or or you can say, I'm nearing four now. Or or just cry out five and they'll know, they'll know to slow it down. That's great. So a numerical system can be useful. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing sexier. Okay. And then he says, vibrator and lube on the nipples. I mean, he's saying that like that's an ordinary thing. But I know. Actually... I love that this writer's gone, well, we're quite new to toys, but we've tried lube yeah. and we've tried vibrators and we've also tried clamps. Yeah. <laughs> using a using a standard bullet vibrator, a small bullet vibrator on the nipples. That's that's so one of the things I would yeah, That's entree. one of the things I would have said. Uh-huh. Uh, lubes, they might be using uh, normal varieties that are intended for genital use. You can get specific nipple stimulating gels and balms they often contain a minty or menthol based ingredient to give a cooling effect and as we all know when we've been out in the chilly cold nipples get perkier and erect in the cold so um so they have that effect um our writer says they have tried clamps some of them are pretty flipping hardcore they're not too far off a bulldog clip to the nip oh Christ. Uh, yeah therefore heart they're therefore people who are into extreme s&m that's n- not what i would suggest for a beginner but there are lots of different styles of clamp some of them are sort of like um two pins with a loop where you slide the loop uh, along the pins in order to make them tighter they're adjustable so you can have them um you can have them squeezing the nipple quite hard or a little bit more lightly suddenly feels like qvc <laughs> well, some of them they're are fully often... adjustable and they're white clean <laughs> but if you order three God. now you get a fourth for free <laughs> for those people with four nipples out there and i know you exist uh, some of them are magnetic uh, which can give various levels of strength i'm actually I'm cupping my own tick while we talk it's here. sorry um, um, and some uh, some clamps come in pairs that are connected with a chain, so you can fit them on with the strength that suits you personally, and then you can tug lightly or quite hard on the chain during other sex acts, if you wish, to 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 wake your wake your nipples up. And it has a, a nice Christmassy vibe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like like boob bunting. Uh, I've actually got a pair of uh, teeny weeny, quite subtle little clothes peg style silver clamps that I mm. got from Ann Summers. Um, uh, now nipples come in all sorts of various shapes and sizes. Um, some of them are sort of pen lid kind of size. Others, like mine, are tiddly widdly tiddly winkle, teeny weeny. Thing is, I understand what you're saying. There's a range of products out there, but with this. You know, it's not like last week where we were talking about lubricant that could destroy a condom if you use the wrong one. Really, couldn't you go to Poundland and just buy some clothes pegs? Really? I mean, do you need to buy specialist equipment for this? Pervertible convertibles. Yeah, you could use a clothes peg. I would advise uh, double-checking if you're using uh, wooden ones that they don't have any spare splinters. splinters. Okay, yeah. yeah, good point. Nobody wants that. Maybe go that. plastic for that. Yeah. And to answer Kieran's question directly then, he's tried all that. Where should he be looking? Maybe if his partner is a sucker for tip play, then he should try some suckers. You can get these little, I don't know what to call them, like little teats, little tit teats. They actually suction onto the nipple. They draw blood into it, making it more engorged and also super sensitive. Mm. Now you can either put the suckers on, leave them for a bit to do their job and then remove them and do other play. So you might want to use ice cubes or uh, something warm, play with temperature. Mm. Uh, Nipples often react really well to different textures so you could really take your time and sort of brush them with something velvety or uh, something uh, maybe a rougher surface and use the suckers to prime the flesh for that other impact and and sensation play or you can leave the suckers in place and then just flick them slightly during sexual play to give a kind of jolt of electric excitement okay good tip what i would recommend is for any listeners who are tuned into this and thinking my nipple knobs ain't that sensitive. It's just not going to happen. 
give it some time. Some people's breasts are super sensitive and respond to touch almost immediately. Other people do need a build-up. So just see what happens if you maybe dedicate an evening to the chest rather than the rest and see what you might discover. And does that include men? Can men orgasm through nipple play? They can. I chatted to my friend Luke, who works at Clone Zone, which is a, a sex shop that mostly caters to, to gay guys' uh, interests. And he said they sell so many nipple suckers and nipple clamps. It really works for lots of guys. Um, some medics have posited that there might be a nerve pathway directly connecting the nipples with the genital sensory cortex in all people, no matter of gender. For some people, that nerve pathway will be really distinct and very responsive. In others, it won't. The only way to discover, really, is to give it a whirl. There we go. We all know what we're doing this weekend. Well, speaking of the weekend, my one final suggestion, and this is perhaps slightly more extreme, but if our writer's Slightly partner... more extreme <laughs> than, than s- clamping your nipples together. Okay. I don't know if I, I'm literally crossing my legs, but go on, yeah. Piercing. Oh, okay, yeah. Consider getting a nipple piercing. If you have a question of sex for Alex to answer on next week's show, what should you do with it? Well, if your nipples are really erect, then you could use them to type in the website address, which is modernmanwith2hens.co.uk and hit feedback. And uh, if you want to buy yourself a whole range of toys that presumably could be applied to your nipples... uh, Yeah, tons of bullet vibrators over on mycondom.com. Yeah, there's a special discount code for you. Yes, if you use the code FOXHOLE, F-O-X-H-O-L-E, you get 15% off everything. And with that, we have very nearly reached the end of this week's Modern Man, but there is just time to appoint a new ambassador. It's Aidan, who says, I've been a man fan for a good few months. You've helped me through some long, boring commutes as I'm in the RAF and it's a long drive home. I only get to see my daughter at weekends, so particularly enjoyed your How to Be a Dad episodes. It's been genuinely reassuring to know it's okay. I find it hard being away from home. Listening to the feelings you gents shared made me feel less alone and less of a terrible dad. I'd like to be considered Manbassador for the Royal Air Force. Uh, Aidan, it is yours. I now pronounce you Manbassador for the RAF. Congratulations. Uh, Music now. Our theme is by Django Django from their self-titled debut album. And our record of the week is this by Tamino. It's called Habibi and it's available to stream now thanks to Communion Records. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Something hides in every night Brings desire from the deep And with it comes a burning light To keep us from As a false star tries his best to make the white pearl shine, glances of a new day have arrived. And Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.